I invite you to hear this reading from Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 3. And you may recognize this um, from the lips of Jesus in Luke chapter 4 when he began his public ministry. And I think it's so helpful for us this time of year as we think about Jesus coming into the world to remember the reason for which he came. Isaiah writes, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness in the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. I invite you to pray with me. Lord, we thank you for the gift of this day, and we thank you for drawing us into this sanctuary. We thank you for the health and the ability to be here. We thank you for the desire to gather with your people to worship this morning. And Lord, we pray that you be at work among us by the power of your Holy Spirit, that we might be reminded of the radical love that you have shown us through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that you would not allow us this season to kind of sleepwalk through Christmas celebrations, but you would help us to remember the depths of love that you have shown for us in Jesus and that you would move our hearts to proclaim that good news as you give us opportunity in word and in deed. We thank you that you've come to comfort those who are mourned and to bind up the brokenhearted to give strength and courage to those who are faint in spirit. We pray for those among our midst who, who feel that way today. Pray that they would hear the good news of all that you've done for us in Jesus and that you would bring them a joy that is unshakable. We pray for those from our fellowship who would love to be here for worship today but can't, for those who are sick, for those who have physical limitations that just won't allow them to be here. We pray for them they would know the certainty of your presence and provision. We pray for those who care for them, for those who treat them, Lord, that you would strengthen and sustain them. We pray for those from our church family who have suffered loss, and the loss of loved ones and family. We pray, especially this morning, for Andy Wharton and for Virginia Wharton and the death of Andy's father. We pray that you would be so near to them that they would know the hope of the resurrection during these days and that you would help us to be faithful as their church family to come alongside and support them. We continue to pray for Mary Snow and the death of her husband Rodney, that she would know the hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ in this season. We pray for those of us who rejoice this morning. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be careful to acknowledge you as the giver of every good and perfect gift that we enjoy and that we would steward the things that you've entrusted to us for your glory. Make us conduits of your grace and blessing to others. Holy Spirit, be at work among us as we look at your word. We offer this prayer in the name of your Son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who has taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. 
Amen. I invite you to take your Bible and turn to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. We're going to be in the first seven verses this morning. If you're using the Pew Bible there in front of you, it's page 795. Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. Paul writes these words, Paul, servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to human nature was the descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him and for his namesake, we receive grace and apostleship, to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. And you also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, I'm sure you're aware of this, but if you're not, exactly one week from today is Christmas Day. So you got a little bit of time left if you haven't uh, yet marked everything off your Christmas list. Maybe you have time to move from naughty to nice list. I don't know, depending on your situation. But it, probably at this time of the year, you've already engaged in lots of things that are kind of signature events of the Christmas season. Maybe you've been to a Christmas party already with coworkers or family, friends. Maybe you've been out to see Christmas lights and you've been like me and you drive by someone's house that everything that's not moving seems to be covered in a light. And I have such admiration for those people. Like one day I would like to have the energy and time and excitement to cover everything with lights, but I'm not there yet. Maybe you've done that. Maybe you've gone out Christmas shopping. Uh, I took the kids out yesterday. You know, Mary is out of town in the Dominican Republic. So we went out and did a little bit of Christmas shopping my only big fear is that May went with us, and May is not that good at keeping secrets. So it may be that Mary finds out what she's getting for Christmas as soon as she walks in the door uh, upon arrival. Maybe you've, by this point, seen a Christmas movie or two. Anybody watch Christmas movies yet? I watched Home Alone for probably the 1,000th time this past week. And one of the things that I like about Christmas movies is that they are very predictable. It's kind of this comfort food of movies during Christmas. Like, I like the fact that I know everything that's going to happen in Home Alone. Um, I never grow tired of Marv falling down the stairs or getting hit with a paint can. There's just something so comforting as I watch that, and I know it's going to be resolved. Like, I know Kevin's family's coming back. I know he's going to survive. I don't want a cliffhanger in a Christmas movie. I do not want a plot twist. I do not have to watch, want to watch part one to understand part two. If you want to watch Home Alone 2, go for it. You'll understand it, and then you can go back and watch one. There's just something about Christmas movies that they kind of, we want that. We don't want to end in some weird, odd way. Someone in my, in my family who will remain nameless has watched lots of Lifetime Christmas movies this year. Um, and I've watched a couple, I'll admit to you. I've kind of gotten sucked in. Um, I think I know it well enough that I could write one if I'd like to. Um, here's what happens. Boy and girl meet through some circumstance beyond their control. 
Initially, they dislike each other. But through time, they fall in love with each other. And it looks like everything's great, but then something terrible happens. One of them gets a job in North Dakota or something. And we're like, oh no, how can they ever? And then it's resolved. And then the credits roll and we're just like, they must have lived happily ever after. There's something that like after a while you're like, I kind of like this. I kind of like the fact that I know what's going to happen and it's going to be easy and light. As I thought about Christmas movies, I thought about that predictable nature of it, the familiarity, it kind of occurred to me that I think we can become the same way with the true Christmas story. That there can be a way in which you and I think about the events of that first Christmas morning. And we think about Mary and Joseph, and of course there was a group of angels, and there were shepherds, and there were wise men, right? And if we're not careful, you and I miss out on all the things that are going on surrounding the birth of Jesus and the huge implications that ought to be there for you and for me as followers of Jesus. And so my hope this morning is that you would leave the sanctuary today and you would at least a little bit be scratching your head and thinking, what in the world? What in the world is this story that we believe of what God has done for us in Jesus and it wouldn't just be kind of ho-hum, going through the motions. And we would ask and prayerfully consider, Lord, what is the implication? What are the implications of this work of salvation that you've done for us in Jesus. Now, Romans is the high point, most scholars believe, of Paul's writings. If you read the book of Romans, Paul goes in-depth explaining all that God's done for us in Jesus and the difference that his life, death, and resurrection make for us. And he starts out his book in a way that I think ought to remind us of the surprising nature of God's grace. And he does it by introducing himself. He says, Paul, a servant or a bondservant or a slave of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. If you spent much time in church, you know a lot about Paul. Perhaps you've even seen charts in your Sunday school class of all of Paul's missionary journeys. And you know that he wrote much of the New Testament. And you and I, if we're not careful, we forget who Paul was before he came to know Jesus. Paul was this zealous person who thought that he was honoring and serving God by persecuting those who belonged to what they called the way. That for Paul, these people who professed that Jesus was Lord, that they were blasphemous. And he would stop at nothing to make sure that this movement did not continue. Paul was the guy that I may have mentioned to you before that like if Paul walked in the sanctuary right now and you and I were first century before he met Jesus, we're all real nervous and we're looking for the security guards. We're like, what, what is he doing here? And then Paul, he met the resurrected Christ on the road to Damascus. And after he met Jesus, his life was completely transformed by the grace that God had shown him in Jesus Christ. And so Paul then went out. And do you remember how he was first received by the Christians? They're like, uh, not sure we should welcome him to church. And it took them time to get to know him and believe the reality of the transformation that had happened in him. But I think it's so instructive for us to remember that, that Paul, 
His very presence of his writings in the New Testament and the account of the ministry that he had ought to remind us of the surprising nature of God's grace at work among us. That Paul knew that apart from God intervening in a miraculous way in the person of Jesus, he would not have come to faith in Christ. And so Paul identifies himself as a servant, an apostle, one who's sent to proclaim good news. It's also important, I think, for us on this fourth Sunday of Advent to remember that God's entrusted us with the gospel, with good news of the salvation that is available to everybody who responds in faith, who repents of their sins and responds in faith to Christ. That there's not one person that you know, not one person I know, that's beyond the scope of God's grace and his mercy and his work of salvation through Jesus Christ. This morning I was reading Luke. I kind of do my daily Bible readings and I was reminded of this truth. Zacchaeus, do you remember him? What a wonderful story. A little short Zacchaeus. He heard Jesus was coming by. What did he do? He climbed up in a tree apparently. And Jesus saw him. And he said, hey, Zacchaeus, appreciate the um, fervor, but come on down. I'm going to come to your house today. And do you remember how people responded to that? They grumbled. What's Jesus doing hanging out with those people? What's Jesus doing out hanging out with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus says, here's the thing. I didn't come for the righteous people. I came to call those who are sinners. And we've been entrusted with this good news that God extends his grace and his mercy to every person who would respond in faith and that no one is outside of God's gracious work in Christ. We've been entrusted with good news that transforms people like Paul and it transforms people like you and it transforms people like me. Now Paul goes on as he introduces himself to talk a little bit about Jesus. And he says, this gospel that I've been given is a gospel that was proclaimed beforehand by the prophets in the scriptures. And when Paul met the resurrected Jesus, he was able to look back in the Old Testament and have this kind of aha moment to say, wait a minute, everything in the Old Testament leading up to this point found its fulfillment in Jesus. He's a theological key, so to speak, that unlocks our understanding of the Old Testament. And it's helpful for us to be reminded that that Jesus is not in and of himself this standalone story. But that if you don't understand part one, the Old Testament, and the context for who Jesus is, then you won't fully appreciate who he is and the gift that we have of knowing him. But if you go back in the Old Testament, all along the way, God is talking about this one who will come and to deliver his people. I'm currently reading through the book of Isaiah, and it's incredibly rich especially when you get to 40 to 66, and you start reading all these servant songs. And Isaiah talks about this one who will come, who will bear the reproach of God's people and their sins, and through his sacrifice, they'll be declared righteous. And you and I can't read that without, like, blinking lights going off. Who is this? Yeah, it's Jesus. 
But have you thought about the privilege it is for us to live in this era of salvation history where God has made himself known in the person of Jesus? That you and I don't live in that time where we wonder, what's the Messiah like? When is he going to come? What will he accomplish? But things that angels would have longed to have seen, you and I get to see in the person of Jesus. That he is this long-awaited fulfillment of all that God said he would do in the Old Testament to bring salvation for his people. He is that fulfillment. Verse 3, concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh. One thing that's important about Jesus is that he fulfills this messianic expectation that one would come from the house of David who would be our Savior. And if you go back and you read 2 Samuel chapter 7, which I'd encourage you to do, God makes this promise to David that he will always have a ruler on his throne. And we know that Solomon comes, and Solomon, he had his moments, but he paled in comparison to all that God said would be true of David's house. And so Jesus comes in the fullness of time in a very intentional way to fulfill that expectation that the Messiah would come from David's line. And when you read Matthew and you read Luke, Guess what both of them give us about Jesus? A genealogy. That portion of the scripture where you're reading it and you're like, maybe I'll just skip this. You're like, I don't know all these names. Who are these people? But in each of those genealogies, guess who's mentioned? David. David. The gospel writers knew that it was important that Jesus came according to the flesh, a descendant of David. And he fulfilled this messianic role. He was uniquely called and gifted and qualified to be that. Now, here's the thing about messiahs that you may or may not know. Jesus was not the first person to claim to be the messiah. He was not the first person to claim to be the Christ. Many had come before him, and one of the ways that you knew that someone wasn't ultimately the Messiah was what? They were killed. Messiahs back then were political figures meant to throw off the yoke of oppression of other nations. And so when you get Jesus' followers and the disciples in the Gospels, and they're following after him, and Jesus says what about himself? He says, um... I'm going to be crucified. And they all say what? No way. Not a part of the plan, Jesus. Don't be talking about death and defeat. Like, we got things to do here. We have kingdoms to conquer. And when Jesus is crucified on the cross, it was the Romans' way of saying, he ain't the Messiah. And all of you who think you might one day be the Messiah, if you try this, What's going to happen to you? You're going to be on a cross. And so after Jesus is crucified on the cross, all of his followers go back to doing what we think that they would do after someone had died. Fishermen go back to fishing. They anoint his body. They prepare for burial. And they get ready to turn the page. Until what happened? Some of you are whispering it. 
The resurrection. Paul says he was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. How many of you have been to funerals before? I've been to a lot. Increasingly, I see that's part of a hazard of my job. I go to lots of those. And here's the thing. Not one person yet that I've been a part of their burial has been raised from the dead. Not one. And, and, and Jesus' followers were the same way. But they knew that Jesus was the Messiah and the Lord after Jesus was raised from the dead. The resurrection of Christ from the dead is, for me, the thing that makes me most confident in my Christian faith. I have no other explanation for why, have you, why any of us would be in this room today apart from the resurrection. No reason to believe that the people in the first century who knew what death was like way better than you and I know what death is like. They knew what death was like. But they could not look over the fact that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. And from that moment on, they went out and they proclaimed the good news of all that God had accomplished through this Messiah who came in fulfillment of all the prophets had expected, the one who came born a descendant according to David, and the one who ultimately was resurrected from the dead so that you and I, as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, can be declared righteous and have this hope and this expectation that one day when Christ returns, we too will be raised from the dead. You see why I think that we all need to kind of be reminded of this story that is at the foundation of our faith? That God himself, the second person of the Trinity, as John would say, the Word became flesh, the Word that created all things. He was born in a manger to these poor people named Joseph and Mary. And he lived this perfect life perfectly righteous life on our behalf and he died on the cross and he was buried and he was raised on the third day for us and for our salvation and we believe that one day he will return and those of us who die in Christ will be raised and here's the thing that I want you to think about during this season think about your resurrection hope as nothing short of Genesis 1 and 2 amazing recreation that God does when Jesus returns. That this is the place, this is the one in whom we place our hope. And so what ought to be our response to that? Imagine going to work tomorrow and you say, hey, I'm a Christian, let me tell you what I believe. I believe that God exists in the Trinity. I believe that the Son came and was born as a baby the one who created everything that we know. I believe he's the Messiah. I believe he's the fulfillment of all the Old Testament expectations. I believe he was the descendant of David. I believe he died on the cross. I believe he was raised from the dead. I believe he's coming back to finish this work he started. And then people say, all right, great, so what? 
You're like, well, I don't know. I'm going to live nativity this week. I got a few things to mark off my Christmas list. I'm hoping that I get some eggnog. Like they would probably look at you like you were crazy. That if you believe these things to be true, which we do as Christians, then it has to have some impact and effect on how we live. And Paul says, I've been called to be an apostle to proclaim this good news, to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among the Gentiles. You and I, through our faith in Christ, have been given this incredible privilege and responsibility to bear the name of Jesus to those who do not yet know him. And saying that we believe in him is part of it. Praising him is part of it. But there is also this truth that God calls us to submit to the lordship of Jesus and walk in obedience so that others but glorify Jesus because of our lives. So I'm prayerful for you and I'm prayerful for me that this next week that we have as we think about these things, as we celebrate Jesus' coming and we look to his second coming, that we would be prayerful in asking that question, Lord, what should my life look like in light of all these things that I believe? Help me to walk in obedience to you for the sake of your name. I invite you to pray with me. God, we thank you for Christmas, and we thank you for Advent. We thank you for all that you've done for us in Jesus. We thank you for transforming someone like Paul so that you might use him as an instrument of your grace to proclaim the gospel of salvation that's available to all people. Lord, we pray that you would give us fresh ears, that you would give us soft hearts this week as we as we make our way to Christmas Day, as we participate in living nativity, as we do all the things of the season, Lord, help us to not sleepwalk through all these things and miss out on all that you've given us in Christ. Help us to respond and yield our lives to you, trusting that, that, that obedience is better, that obedience is harder, but it's richer, and that you would use us to be a living witness to the difference that Jesus makes for the sake of your name. We offer this prayer in Christ's name. Amen.